morning, everyone. I want to uh, tell you right up front what my message this morning is in one sentence, and that is that um, God finds us in our broken places and he ministers to us there. How many of you can say amen to that? God finds us in our brokenness, our broken places, and it's there that he comes and ministers to us. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's start by looking at Genesis 3. And maybe it's been a while since you've read this passage um, about God searching for Adam and Eve in the garden after they have sinned by eating from the forbidden tree. And so we're going to pick up in verse 8, and it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What a nice, what a nice image, the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And that's a question that could echo through all eternity, couldn't it? As we think about our own lives, where are we? And Adam said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Um, how we know that reality of being confronted by the Lord in our sin, don't we? And how, how we relate to Adam who is hiding and he's afraid, he's ashamed, and he's blaming others uh, for his behavior. Yet it's precisely here in these places of hiding, of being ashamed, being afraid, of blaming others, of making deals, of bargaining with God, that he comes to us and finds us and confronts our sin and ministers to us. What a great, what a great, great God we serve. I want to look at five or six more passages in the scriptures this morning where God finds people in their broken places and he ministers to them. Just before we leave this story, I want to point your attention to verse 21 of this chapter, where it says, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. To me, that's one of the most tender images or verses in the Bible. They had already made clothes out of fig leaves for themselves, but the Lord God took skins and he made clothes for them. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted 
but he saves the crushed in spirit. What a tremendous and beautiful verse. So let's, let's look first at John 4, John chapter 4, and of course this is the story of the woman at the well. And I'm going to read the first 26 verses, so follow along as best you can. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I see this woman's broken places as um, the fact that she's spiritually hungry and thirsty, and she's also very, very alone. She had three strikes against her, at least, didn't she? You've heard in previous sermons, I'm sure, that that, um, because she was a woman and because she was a Samaritan, it was considered unlawful for a man and, and a Jew especially to speak to her. 
She's also there at 12 noon. She's also there in the heat of the day alone. We can assume because she's been sort of outcast by the other women in her community because of her history. But I don't want to focus on her, um, her sexual history or, or any, any of that except this idea that she'd been around the mountain a few times. This woman was alone, kind of outcast of her community, and she's here at the well, and I get the, the picture of her. This is a little bit of speculation, but I, I get the sense that she's a woman who's seen it all. She's seen it all, and she's tired. She's tired of what this life has to offer. I see her as spiritually hungry. Jesus only asks her three questions before she says, Sir, give me this living water that I might not thirst again and not have so far to come for this water. Have you ever been in this broken place yourself where you're just so tired of all that this world has to offer and you just long for something refreshing, something real, something from another world that will truly quench your thirst. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and he fills you and he washes you. Like the scriptures say, rivers of living water flow over every rock and every nook and cranny of your being. And like the woman at the well, you say, oh Lord, give me this water that I may drink forever. His grace floods you. Can you say amen to that? God's grace flooding your soul at that place where you've come to the end of yourself and the end of what the world has to offer. Then I want you to notice, starting in verse 39, that God does something even more with this woman. Starting in verse 39, it says, and from that city, Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. So the Samaritans came to him, and they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. In this case, Jesus took the brokenness of this woman and the confusion and the tiredness of this woman, and she, he made something beautiful of her life. He made something that could draw others to his life through her. Isn't that wonderful? There's a song that, um, I don't know where I heard it long ago, but... It says, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. And yet he made something beautiful of my life. So the first broken place that I want you to consider is this woman who's very spiritually thirsty and yet very alone. The next story I want to turn to is the prodigal son, one of the, one of the great, 
great stories of the scriptures that Jesus told. It's in Luke 15. And um, we'll start by reading um, 11 through 24. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. I want you to notice there that he didn't just give the younger son his inheritance. It says he divided his inheritance between them. So the older brother that we'll read about later got his share of the inheritance as well. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he set him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, yet no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be married. I see this prodigal son as desperate and overcome with a sense of unworthiness of his own doing, desperate and unworthy, longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And so in verse 18 and 19, he says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And yet, while it's still a long way off, the scriptures say his father saw him and started running. He finds us in our broken places. And he comes and he ministers to us. He felt compassion for him, the scripture says. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I want to ask you, has God found you desperate and feeling unworthy? Can you remember being under the load of sin? And just feeling so unworthy of any grace, of any love, surely I will go to my father and I'll tell him I'm an unworthy servant. And yet he comes, he runs and finds you, his son, his daughter, and puts ring on your finger and sandals on your feet. He feeds you with feasting and celebration and restores you as his precious child. You know, David proclaimed, you, O Lord, are the glory 
and the lifter of my head. What a great verse. Let's take a look at the older brother, though, in, in verses 25 through 32. We read, now his older brother was in the field, the older son, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he, but he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours." But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Seems to me the broken place of this older brother was that he was angry and withdrawn and self-righteous. I don't know if I can ask you to raise your hands about which of you feel like you're in that boat? But some of us do struggle with anger. Some of us do struggle with pride. Some of us do struggle with that sense of self-righteousness and, well, he, only, he, shouldn't, he, he should only get what he deserves. Like the older brother, perhaps you've been the good child in your family. You've been the one who's always tried to do everything right, always tried to please your parents, always tried to please God, always tried to make people happy and their lives better, only to become convinced that everybody loves the bad boy more. Everybody loves that sister more, that brother more than you, and you're taken for granted. I remember counseling with a man, a friend of mine, who... Um, really identified with this older brother. And through tears, he would say, Jim, why can't I let this go? Why can't I let God love me? Because he was stuck there in that pride and in that uh, sense of being cheated. I wonder if any of you have been here captive of your own pride and righteousness and anger. Probably we all have been at some time. I recently heard that the most dangerous words of the human psyche are the words, I deserve. I know I always feel that after I work a long day. I deserve some food. I deserve an ice cream cone. I got out of bed this morning. I, I worked hard. I didn't stop at the bar on the way home. You know, just, just this mental reward system in my mind. Um, things I, I reward myself for things I would never do, like going to the bar on the way home. But I still reward myself. And so, you know, this, this sense of deserving stuff is um, quite dangerous. I want you to notice that in this passage, the father comes out 
and entreats the older son. The son won't come in. And so the father goes out. Again, a picture of our loving father who comes to us in our brokenness, in our sin, in our attitude, and entreats us to come in to the party. For some of us, this is our broken place where we struggle to find peace and rest in the love of God. And yet, our Father comes to us and He entreats us, come into the party. A fourth story we have is the story of Doubting Thomas in John 20. Um, Let's turn there. John 20, starting in verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, what are, what are Thomas's broken places? Obviously doubting, but I also think pouting. Doubting and pouting, Thomas. As I read through this this week, uh, it just, I'd never thought of Thomas kind of as a powder. But, you know, Jesus shows up to the disciples and shows him his hands and his side, and they believe. But Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas's attitude is almost like, you know, well, if the Lord doesn't love me enough to show up when I'm there, I'm going to have to stick my hand my finger in his hand, and I'm going to put my hand in his side. That's, that's all that's going to be good enough for me. Thank you very much. And uh, it's like he's got to one-up what the other disciples have experienced because uh, he wasn't there. So then the Lord comes. Once again, after eight days, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. It doesn't doesn't even indicate that he put his finger in the Lord's hands or his hand in his side. He just crumpled right there, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. So here again, 
we see Jesus coming and attending to Thomas, the doubter and powder. And he doesn't even rebuke Thomas for doubting and pouting, does he? But he says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and addresses him. No recrimination, no rebuke, no calling him a baby. He just comes and sets Thomas free. I wonder if we have ever been doubters and powders. We didn't get, we, we quite, we didn't, the Lord wasn't quite good enough to us. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I, I assume you have. And then the last one I want to look at is the rich young ruler in Luke 18. Luke 18, starting in verse 18. And a certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. It's interesting to me that the rich young ruler wasn't sad about following Jesus, he was sad about losing his fortune. It seems to me that the rich young ruler, his broken place, if you will, was an incomplete surrender. An incomplete surrender. Have you ever discovered a part of your heart that isn't surrendered? The... um, King David said in one place, unite my heart to fear thy name. And uh, even though we've given our whole lives to God, it seems to me that this is really our reality, is we do our very best to give our whole selves to him genuinely and with full determination But then, in reality, we surrender in parts. We discover this part that's not fully his, and we work on surrendering that. We find this part that's broken, and we don't know quite what to do with it, but we just just bring it to the Lord. We bring this sin habit to the Lord, or this sickness to the Lord, or this loved one to the Lord who's broken. And uh, so we surrender in parts. David recognized there were parts of his heart that were not fully surrendered. And this is what the rich young ruler was running into. He wanted to give his life to God, but there was a part that was not surrendered. And we don't know whether he was able to surrender that part or not, but obviously it was a huge hindrance to him It was a barrier 
between him and the Lord. So what should we make of this fact that God loves to come to us in our broken places and minister to us? I'd like to give you four or five application points very quickly. First, I think that it behooves us to celebrate what a what an awesome God we serve. That he will come to us in these messy, broken, sinful, confused places. Deal with our sin and minister to us and make something beautiful of our lives. His grace invades us and it's so wonderful. He's a missionary, isn't he? He's a missionary God. Secondly, if he meets us in our broken places rather than our self-sufficient places, maybe we should embrace our weaknesses. Now, what do I mean by embrace? I guess what I mean is don't run from them, but, but face them and ask the Lord to come to that place where you are broken. I learned uh, this past week that, that the first three steps of the 12 steps of, of addiction recovery, if you boil them down, the first three steps to two words each, the first one, first step one is I can't, step two is he can, and step three is I surrender. I can't, he can, I surrender. And so rather than run from these places we need to surrender, I think we should bring them to the Lord. We all have these places that we want to avoid. We want to put them in a closet and shut the door. And yet, that's the very place that God, as we've read in these stories, wants to meet us. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, that he had a thorn in the flesh, and he said, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. But God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul went on to say, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So application point number one is we can just celebrate what a great God we serve. The second point is we should embrace our weaknesses rather than try to shut them away. A third application point is we can be filled with gratitude for those places where God has already delivered us. As I, I, know, I know you guys, many of you in depth, and I know how God has delivered you through many, many broken places. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful for what God has brought you through already? We've all been hiding and ashamed. We've all been thirsty and alone. We've all been desperate and unworthy. 
We've all been angry and withdrawn. We've all been doubting and pouting. And we've all incompletely surrendered. And yet he comes and finds us there in the messiness of our emotions and our sins and our pain. He comes and he ministers to us. One last application point is I think when we discover a part of our heart that isn't surrendered, what we can do is bring that part to him and more fully surrender. That renegade part of our heart that is not yielded to his will. So I want to open up the altar for a little bit. I want to ask Larry to come and play on the piano. And I want you to just Feel free to come to the altar for just a time alone with God. I don't really see it as a time where people are going to minister to you, but if you would like to celebrate how good God is in that he comes into these messy places and ministers to us, maybe you just want to celebrate how good he is Maybe you want to embrace a weakness, a broken place, instead of hide from it. And you want to just lay that at the altar and say, God, I'm, 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 I'm not going to hide, try to hide myself from this anymore. I want, to, I want to lay it before you and I want to meet you in it. Maybe you just want to express gratitude for the battles that God has brought you through already. Or maybe there's a part of your heart that you want to surrender, a place where you don't know what to do. So please come. This is your house. This is your altar. Uh, Don't be shy. I've prayed that real progress would occur, not just perfunctory Um, perfunctory ritual, but God will meet us. He's faithful to meet us when we present to him our broken places. So please come. Please come. In Jesus' name. A few moments I'll pray. But uh, just come.